And welcome back to Workers' Power here on 4 Z. We're with Bill and it's uh, the time of the month that we uh, talk about history and uh, and uh, we, we like, uh, you know, chatting about uh, workers standing up and fighting back and collectivising and organising in whatever way uh, from from history. And on this, I'd like to welcome uh, Neil, from uh, who's part of Brisbane Labor History Association. Um, welcome, Neil. Thanks very much, Bill. And um, just, just just give us a, a couple of short sentences about yourself and, and, and what you're up to. Yeah, well, I'm a history teacher. I've been very involved in the Queensland Teachers Union. I've uh, been on state conference, uh, been a local delegate for them for a number of years. Before that, I uh, actually worked in the trade union movement for the services union and before that for the metal workers for a few years, so... The yeah. service, that's my union. I'm a member of the services oh, union. Excellent. Fantastic yeah. union. Yep. Right, and um, we're kind of leading in. You're, you're going to talk about uh, the, 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 far re- the, the red far north yep. um, from about the 1920s. Now, last uh, month we were talking with Jeff about, uh, um, you know, the, the early parts of the 20th century and uh, also the decade of the, of the teens uh, through the war and, and, then, and then into the 20s where... It was it was the wobblies that were were, were the of the far left and uh, um, but um, somewhere in around about the nineteen twenties the 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 organising took a change and started to uh, head towards the Communist Party of Australia. So can you, can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, um, the the Red North, which is basically the area from Mackay up to Cairns. Um, very much during that period was a a hotbed for the development of the Communist Party in Australia, but particularly in Queensland. Um, And it was very much in parallel to what happened with the Wobblies. Uh, They gained a lot of their support through involvement in rank-and-file struggles for particular industrial issues in North Queensland, particularly in the sugar industry and the coal mining industry in North Queensland during that period was where they had their greatest successes. And, and uh, so up, up the far north, it was, uh, they were um, painting the country red and starting to organise. Yeah, definitely. And it, it was very much, I mean, even the party members uh, talking about that period acknowledge, and as someone who lived in North Queensland for five years, it can be a bit like Redneck Central. And um, it was, you know, very unusual for a far-left party to gain traction there, but it, a lot of it came to do with their involvement in their local community. Um, uh, you know, uh, people talk about Fred Patterson, who was Australia's only ever Communist Party Member of Parliament, who was elected for the, as Member for Bowen in 1944 and again in 1947. He was elected with 44% of the primary vote, which you know is a massive vote for a far-left party. In fact, he almost got elected as a federal member of parliament for Herbert in 1943. He got 38% of the uh, primary vote and was only beaten by the Labor candidate who was re-elected on country party preferences. So, um, yeah, it's very unusual for an area like North Queensland, which even today uh, is far less socially progressive than even southern Queensland. 
Yeah, yeah, some would say it's the, you know, it's a conservative heartland now. Yeah, and um, I, I think it was Kevin Rudd who once said that uh, once you go past the Pine River, you can start to hear the banjos playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I quote Kevin Rudd much, but um, yeah, so it developed really through the party becoming involved in the struggles of ordinary people in North Queensland and particularly in places like Collinsville, um, uh, which is a mining community in North Queensland. Uh, One of the party activists said about Collinsville in the 1930s that there wasn't a single committee in the town that didn't have at least one communist who was a member of it. They were very much about becoming involved in their local communities. And you saw that, and really the genesis for the development of the Communist Party in North Queensland came with the wheels disease dispute in the sugar industry in 1935. Now, I don't know, I had to look up uh, what wheels disease is. It's basically a disease that, it's sort of like a fever that's caused by rats um, spreading the disease largely in the sugar industry it was spread by rats urinating on the cane and that led to workers developing fevers and they could even you know seriously develop things like kidney failure as a result of catching wheels disease now um, for a long time that disease was prevalent in North Queensland because essentially it could be easily dealt with by burning the cane um, and that would get rid of any you know, any infection from the, the urine of the rats, rats, it would destroy it. But farmers didn't want to burn the cane because it reduced the sugar content of the cane and therefore reduced the profits that they could make. And oh, well, as as we yeah. know in current times, the profits are, are much more important to these bosses than, than workers' health. Yeah, they were just equipment. And um, they were really facilitated in that um, by the AWU in North Queensland, which I'm not sure if you know the history, but the AWU can cover... I don't know if it's still in their rules, but traditionally they could cover any walk worker north of the Capri- uh, Tropic of Capricorn. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. it's pretty much still still like that. Yeah, yeah, and um, within the sugar industry, particularly in the 1930s, they were very much in the boss's pocket, and they had um, in 1930 they signed a deal with the sugar millers and the sugar farmers that said no more than 25 percent of the workforce could be non-Australian workers, which, you know, essentially white, you know, white workers. Now, in North Queensland during that period, there are a large number of Italians, and there still is in, in, you know, if you go to Innisfail today, they still have an Italian festival every year. And um, essentially during that period, the AWU, saw the Italians as um, communist stooges, really, because um, and people to be kept out of the industry because a lot of them were actually anti-fascist um, refugees from Mussolini's Italy. In fact, the very first anti-fascist demonstration in Australia happened in 1925. I think it was in Innisfail. But anyway, going back to the wheels dis- disease dispute... 
essentially the um, AWU were stopping the workers from doing anything to take action to try and deal with the wheels uh, disease problem and local communist activists who were involved in their communities organised a series of mass meetings in 1935 and those mass meetings led to a situation where they placed a ban on the on the harvesting and processing of any unburnt cane and within about a month of those first mass meetings 3,000 workers were on strike um, in North Queensland totally outside of the structures of the AWU um, the AWU actively opposed the strike in fact the equivalent of the QCU back then the Brisbane Trades and Labor Council passed a motion condemning the strike but the strike went on non non uh, nonetheless now it was eventually broken because the AWU brought organizers from all over Australia and also the state labor in inverted commas government at the time brought an extra 150 police into the area to break the strike but it had two um, significant consequences for the development of the communist party in North Queensland the firstly was that the workers actually won the issue because it was sent to arbitration after the strike was broken and a decision of the industrial court said that all cane had to be burnt so that significant victory was seen as the work not of the AWU but of you know the party and its activists rather than the AWU and the second significant factor was it really built up the party's reputation in the region um, during the strike the party for example you know as I said the AWU saw the Italians as the outsiders you know people who were a threat and whereas the, the Communist Party on the other hand very much saw them as workers in struggle who needed to be supported so for example every mass meeting that was organized by the party in the area during the period they had every doc document that was presented at those meetings translated into Italian they made sure that there was an Italian speaker at every um, <coughs> every mass meeting and they also had an interpreter on the side of the stages at mass meetings to interpret into Italian everything that was said and that's good that's great organizing isn't it yeah and you they know. they also did a lot of stuff like um, mutual aid work which uh, again a lot of activists in southeast Queensland are very much engaged in that sort of work now but that really built um, the party's reputation up in the area all right right on well they they got to start and campaigning is always the way to, that you can build movements and yeah and and they got a victory so fantastic yeah. now also you you mentioned that that the uh they um you touched on that they were doing some mutual aid work now no, i'm a fan of mutual aid could you t tell us a little bit more about what what sort of things they were getting up to yeah absolutely well it started really during the strike um party activists organized food and money collections and delivered it to homes of families involved in the strike and also a list of other people in need and the way that they did that 
they organised those uh, supplies was that they reached out to their local communities to get that that aid and um, they you know had a series of individuals and small businesses and even farmers and uh, the miners in Collinsville provided a lot of the material support that was used in the wheels uh, dispute by communist activists because they as I said they had a big presence within the mining union in particular during that period um, and yeah they did other things during the time and they developed after the strike um, a unemployed workers uh, movement in North Queensland that was very significant but just in terms of during the strike itself um, they also um, uh, developed the um, as I said, things such as um, kitchens, they developed um, also uh, just uh, a lot of social activities such as um, dances and film nights to try and keep the morale up. Yeah, so, but uh, the mutual aid work and the skills that they developed in um, and the community support that they developed, they sort of pivoted after the strike to uh, involvement in things such as uh, relief for the Spanish Civil War and particularly the Republican side of the Spanish Civil War. In fact, 16 of the 21 committees in Australia uh, to support the Republican side of the Spanish Civil War were actually in North Queensland. Yeah. Right on. Yeah, and... Um, well, they were fighting against the fascists, weren't they? Yeah. Marcos, was... Is that... That's uh, it was... Um, uh, no, not Marcos. It was uh, what's his name? <laughs> oh, that's all, that's all yeah, right. Yeah, but, 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 but yeah, the the the, the Franco, the, Franco. That's yeah, right. The fascist. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they, um, and despite the sort of levels of poverty that existed in North Queensland in those communities, they, you know, they had extreme generosity and support from the community. For example, even in Ingham, just north of Townsville. It was notable that in a local report about support for the Spanish Civil War, there were only two families in the entire town who didn't donate yeah, to this, the relief um, support for the Spanish Civil War. No, that's community solidarity. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. And so, so the, this overwhelming solidarity and organising, uh, they they didn't, um, you know, just win win the campaign. They went on to uh, a bigger yeah. and brighter thing. So, how did yeah. they go about that? Well, again, largely from building on those networks that they developed during the first strike, they sort of encouraged people to take that next step, and. Uh, developed like they as i said they had a lot of social activities during the period as uh, and every time they organized an activity in the community they made sure that it had a political edge to it so you know even a film night even a dance um night uh they tried to make sure that it, there was an education aspect to every activity and it also um the their involvement in the community helped to overcome and it shouldn't be underestimated during that period there were, there was a lot of anti-communist scare um campaigns even in the 1930s 
and they were able to overcome that sort of bogeyman reputation in a lot of those small communities because they were seen as part of the community and that that anti-communist um, propaganda didn't ring true with people. You know, they sort of saw that, oh, these commos aren't these, you know, evil people trying to destroy society. They're actually quite nice blokes who organise dances and organise food for... And they have a yarn. I, yeah, think, I think uh, exactly. the the power of the conversation is uh, was just as important then as what it is now. Because uh, um, y- y- yeah, you're not, you're not going to change the world by uh, listening to uh, Rupert Murdoch. Yeah, but listening to your co-workers and 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 other activists around, you're going to get a much better story. Yeah, and finding out what motivates people. The only way you can do that is being connected and involved in your local community which is very much the lesson i learned from what they did during that period right on right on and uh, so they um they, they were starting to get highly organized in, in and around so so where did their their um where did they go to next so I, i'm sure it was a long haul before they got uh, fred patterson into into parliament how did they go yeah. about things did they so did, were they did they find the right balance between um electoral politic uh, electoral campaigning and workplace campaigning yeah well I, I don't think they were ever under any illusions as far as the political process goes they always saw uh, involvement in electoral politics as having a platform. I don't think they really held up much hope that they were going to change things just through elections. So very much everything was motivated by um, trying to move people in their own communities and using it as a platform. So, for example... Fred Patterson uh, was first elected to town... Oh, actually, before he was elected in Townsville, he was first elected in Gladstone City Council in 1927 and was actually the deputy mayor of um, Gladstone. Um, Under the banner of the CPA? Uh, no, he ran, in, as an, in, he ran as an independent in Gladstone. In Townsville, he is very much as a communist and always ran as a communist in North Queensland. Um, I, I might just tell you a bit about Fred Patterson um, just by way of moving on to him as a topic. He actually was from Brisbane. Oh, actually, no, he, he started in Rockhampton. He went to... Um, sorry, he attended Rockhampton Grammar School on a bursary and then uh, Brisbane Grammar don't talk about this in their material, but he's actually an old boy of Brisbane Grammar. Um, he actually came top of the state in 1913 in his uh, junior exam. He topped the state, so he's a very bright, intelligent boy, and got a scholarship at um, to UQ for a Bachelor of Arts in 1920 and read um, classics. Then uh, he got... Um, 1918, he joined the AIF and suspended his studies, but after the war, he actually got a Rhodes Scholarship uh, to um, Oxford and was planning to become an Anglican priest, but his experience in England uh, and his experience during the war radicalised him, and he joined the Communist Party uh, in 1925. uh, 1925. Now, interestingly enough, during this period, you could still you could be a member of the Communist Party and a member of the Labor Party at the same time. They 
um, introduced a pledge around 23, 24, where, and it's still on Labor Party membership cards to this day, I believe, saying that you're not a member of a communist or fascist organisation. So at the time, Fred, um, he resigned from the Communist Party and was going to run as the Labor candidate in Port Curtis, but the central executive basically didn't believe he had genuinely renounced communism and sort of he got an early lesson in compromise because they dumped him as a candidate anyway, even though he had resigned from the, the Communist Party in an effort to stay in. So he again became uh, radicalised after that. He ran as an independent twice in Gladstone against the Labour candidate and he rejoined the Communist Party in 1930. He was actually charged uh, with sedition for speaking at, in, uh, at a uh, public meeting in 1930. And while he was fighting that charge of sedition, he was also studying for the bar um, in Brisbane. And he was actually... There's a, um, <laughs> there was a bit of shindiggery going on there. The establishment didn't like the idea of a, a communist rebellious barrister, so he actually failed his bar exam twice, and um, there was a lot of speculation that he was just failed because he was a communist. And the way he actually overcame it was he said that he was going to have his answers to the next exam he sat were going to be published in Smith's Weekly so that they and miraculously after he made that threat he passed the, the bar on his third attempt <laughs> yeah nice work yeah. You, 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 yeah campaign for yourself yeah and so he went to North Queensland and became a, a solicitor up there and but he had a very busy practice but not a very profitable practice because like a lot of idealists um he did a lot of work for free, <laughs> yeah, and so, but that work in his community, again, bringing it back to community work, that's what gave him his start as a, an alderman on the council. He was seen as someone who fought for the community and someone involved in the community, so he was elected to Townsville City Council. Uh, admittedly, before the war, he got about because the council was elected at large, which meant that the top 10 got elected. He got 19% of the primary vote, but still, which is, I mean, any far-left candidate today would be ex exhilarated to get that sort of level of support. But Yeah, 19% yeah, a good... And, and in council elections, you know, that that, that could be a seat. Yeah, you and know, it was, yeah. You know, so and there's currently in Ipswich Council, there's a councillor that was elected with 12%. Um, yeah. Put one next to their name, twelve percent of the yeah. primary vote, <laughs> and they they got a hundred and fifty thousand dollar a year plus expenses job. Now, yeah. uh, j just uh, on that, and uh, and on current council, isn't it? Um, you know, I, I, I suppose that, that that Fred would be one of the best examples of this, and that that uh, once upon a time councillors and aldermen used to actually fight for their, you know, they, they used to stand up for their citizens. They were they were more than, you know, bins and bins and roads, you know. They were, yeah. they were much more than that. And now uh, what we find, what I find out in Ipswich is that they, these councillors, they, they just, they've got no courage about them to, to actually stand up for real fair dinkum important things um, for workers, you know, and they, they don't want to go out on a limb. They've, they've got these, the, these uh, legal teams telling them, don't go out on a limb. 
them yeah. um, and they won't stand up for workers. But where we had Fred who, uh, um, you know, that that was, you know, his uh, bre- bread and butter, so to speak. That's what he did. That's what he was about. Yeah. going in, standing up for the community. It didn't matter what level of the government. That, that, that's pretty spot on, isn't it? Yeah, and um, that's why uh, Ross Fitzgerald's biography of... Um, of Fred Patterson's called the People's Champion, and it, an example of that sort of um, using the platform of Parliament to advance interests uh, can be seen in his involvement in the 1948 railway strike in Queensland. Um, he was very much involved in advising the striking workers on tactics as well as advocating for them in Parliament, but he was very much a legal. Um, advisor to them during the campaign in fact the 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 state labor government again inverted commas passed a law which they referred to themselves as patterson's law to try and get around the tactics that he was getting the workers to use so effectively if um the tactic was i'll just refer to my notes here um it was called uh at at the pickets they had um, the police had move on powers to move people on, uh, and that was being used to break the strike by getting workers to move away from uh, the picket line. And what Patterson did was he told the workers, um, when they tell you to move on, move on, uh, obey their orders. But their order is to simply move on. They have no power to tell you where to move on to, so just move on and move on and go back to where you were. Yeah. So basically, they w- he would get people to walk around the block and the Labor government was so infuriated by this as a tactic that was working so effectively that they passed what they referred to them themselves as Patterson's Law to try and overcome that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they they use move on orders sometimes on activists today and things yeah. like that. You know, they, they they've got uh, and it's probably hung over from from these areas. You know, where if they give us a move on order, that's the yeah. that's the um, warning that if you hang around any longer, you're about to get arrested. You know, so yeah. um, that, that that's the cue. Right on. Uh, yeah, and there's also and and. And look, there within um, having uh, um, someone who, who, who's an elected official, not a, not only you know, like I'm sure sure Fred would have would have chucked in some coin, you know, there, there's there's yeah. there's fin- finances and resources there to be used, but they also he would have had an office, yeah, so they can have meetings. Yep, and he also used his um, status as a member of parliament to go to picket lines, for example, and act as a legal observer in fact that's how he ended up he got bashed by the coppers um just down in front of central station you know that uh four-way intersection where you've got the people's palace on the other side he was there observing a strike and giving him legal advice as a member of parliament but he got bashed um and how's this for shameful as well the the state government they the labor party had a caucus meeting that afternoon and basically they voted to shut down any investigation into the bashing and so no one was ever charged with anything and um yeah but so yeah he did use his um status and also the resources of his office to 
back extra parliamentary action all the time. And there's also the you know like one, one thing that, that that I note is some of these politicians in in modern times, uh, sometimes they bring along a media scrum. So you, you yeah. you've also got that exposure where you know but in the time it would have been print and to well it wouldn't have even been much radio you know no. so so it would have been print you know there would have been plenty of print and and to have those journalists at the picket um, you know Fred would have encouraged them to to be along to come along definitely and yeah his profile as a member of parliament was definitely he tried to use that wherever he could to advance other people's interests really um so so what um how long did he did he stick around um yeah well he was a member of parliament from 1948 he was re-elected in 1947 but was voted out in 1950 and the way he was he lost his seat was another example of um, oh, some of the shameful things that Labor parties have done um, around Australia. But um, when he won re-election, I think he did have a reduced vote. He got 38%, I think, in 1947. But what they did was they redistributed his seat and split it up. Uh, split his power base down the middle he had a that was before the australian electoral commission yeah. you know and yeah the, yeah the politicians control the boundaries yeah and um the labor party actually introduced a gerrymander uh that bielke peterson sort of uh mastered afterwards but it was actually introduced first up by ned hanlon in uh, the 1940s and yeah his electorate of bowen had included collinsville which was a real source of support for him amongst the miners and the sugar workers the Italian sugar workers on the coast and essentially they split his electorate in half and forced him to choose uh, which seat to run in and yeah he he lost office and he moved to Sydney but they a lot of uh, party members say he was never quite the same after he got bashed that um, he sort of lost his edge a little bit but, you know, he was still very active and involved in the party right up until his death. And he was uh, died and was buried in Waverley Cemetery in Sydney. Um, He's got a good view then. Yeah. <laughs> that's... that's uh, I always refer to that... that that cemetery's got the got the the, the, be, the probably the best real estate in all of Australia. One, you know, like in yeah. a capitalist society, that is. Yeah, and uh, it's got some. He's got some good neighbours, like uh, Henry Lawson's buried there. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was a bit. Uh, the party did gradually lose influence in North Queensland for a number of reasons during that period. One was the sort of hysterical anti-communism after the war. Two was Fred losing his seat, but although, you know, in the, I was looking up the electoral results, they were still polling about you know five percent of the vote in Herbert around Townsville in the 1960s. So they still had a fair baseline of support, but they were never quite the same. Um, and the history of the party in North Queensland was quite unique in a number of ways that might explain why it was more successful there than in other areas. Um, one was that it sort of um, it had a lot more female active members um, involved in the party and a lot more involved in local community groups um, up there and oh 
one of the reasons that they reckon <laughs> that women were more involved up in North Queensland was that the party discipline wasn't as strong in North Queensland and that it, the party didn't have the same industrial sort of blokey base that it had in southern in southern um, areas like Sydney and Melbourne. So it was a bit more open to female involvement. Yeah. Well, so they should really, yeah, but yeah, uh, yeah, it was. Look, it was it was a slow. You know, there was a lot of uh, political organisations where it was very yeah. slow. The the um, the equality and oh, absolutely, and very much. You know, they were products of their time. In, in the nineteen forties, they were a, a lot more misogynist, really. Society generally, not just. Um, the far left, but I mean, it was much worse in a lot of other areas. Well, and we, and we can just look to the White Australia policy, where where the AWU would have been big proponents yeah. of the White Australia policy. That in some ways they still are, but yeah. Um, so the Communist Party, they were. You, you, did they get involved in the uh, local First Nations? Any activism in that regards? Uh, definitely in the nineteen sixties, um, people like Frank Hardy were involved in the Wave Hill strike but um, Eddie Marbo who was um, involved in the Waterside Workers Federation up in Townsville in the 1960s he was involved in the 1967 referendum campaign alongside with a lot of um, left-wing Labor activists in North Queensland but the party was very involved in in pushing forward the 1967 referendum. People like Faith Bandler, I'm not sure if you've heard of her, but she was very much involved in the party as well. So, again, um, nowhere near to the extent that they should have been, but they're a lot more involved than a lot of other organisations. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yeah. very much so because it was a different yeah. time then, you know, and yeah. and and towards the the nineteen sixties, uh, the Labor Party would have definitely uh, started had it, having the the influence of my old nemesis, the uh, the old the old shoppies, yeah, definitely. and their and their anti communist uh, threats, uh, you know, the red yeah. under the bed kind of thing, um, yeah. that didn't help the organising of the the CPA at all, really, did it? No, and definitely the uh, the activities of you know people like Santa Maria and the movement in places like North Queensland can't be underestimated. Remember, a lot of you know, Italians by nature, a lot of them are Catholic, and so uh, the activities of the church in being virulently anti-communist during that period certainly had an impact on their level of support. Um, you know, it, not just there, but everywhere around. You know, I can remember my uh, grandfather, uh, you know, who was... A staunch Catholic uh, was also um, a staunch Labor person, and that was um, frowned upon within his parish because you know they were next to communists, basically, as far as the church. But then the DLP came along, and yeah. uh, all of a sudden, you you, you yeah. could you could be yeah. uh, you know Labor and Catholic. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, fascinating stuff, and 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 uh, I'm I'm really good that we um that we got to discuss it and and talk about. There was a couple of points that are even relevant today, and that's yeah. that's what uh, you know one of the the big things that we're trying to um, get get out of uh, um uh, these um, interactions with Brisbane Labor History Association. What yeah. can we learn, or what, what's applicable to that to today? I certainly think that the value of um, mutual aid organisations should never be underestimated. That you, and the, 
that in order to be effective advocates of the working class, you have to be involved in the working class. You have to, as I said, you know, Collinsville, they said that there wasn't a single committee in the town. I'm talking, you know, PNCs that didn't have a member of the Communist Party involved, that they they stressed to their advocates, uh, to their members, that they had to be involved in their community and they were constantly held accountable by the party what are you doing in your community what are you doing to develop links across different organizations and basically i think that that's the most important lesson is trying to build those networks in the community making people see that their one struggle over here, you know, with wheels disease is connected to the anti-fascist struggle, is connected to improving conditions in the mine, you know, that it's very much getting people together is the key to success. Yeah, collectivising in whatever shape, form, and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then not only are you helping each other out, but you're having conversations and you're learning off each other. And that's a key point is learning from the people, not just trying to impose your will on them. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Oh, it's, uh, fantastic. And oh, look, thanks, thanks so much for coming on. I, I think we could do another hour, but yeah, uh, maybe next time, as school holidays in, in a year's time, yeah. we'll uh, we'll we'll have you back. But yeah, um, yeah we'll. Uh, so, are, are you, is it looking likely that you're going to get an extra two weeks off? Um, no, the teachers unfortunately have to go I, back. I know, but so at, at <laughs> yeah. my partner's school, it's yeah. going to be, um, it, 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 it's they're going to be on a skeleton staff. So there's yeah. a potluck drawer if you get to stay home for the two weeks, or you've got to come in. So. Yeah, well, I've got three year eleven classes. Oh, so well, that, you do. All yeah, oh, right, so I'll yeah. Be back from the first week, which I'm actually quite happy with um well, yeah. I, I don't know what it is with your teachers you, yeah. you just love your job too much and uh, you know i've got a teacher partner and, yeah. and they're talking about how oh, i'm bored i want to get back to work i'm like yeah. what come on yeah. you know maybe in week nine of term one i'll uh, i'll remind them of that you know but <laughs> but uh, you have thank you so much for thank coming you. on it's and been an absolute yeah pleasure. yeah and um hopefully uh, one time we can have you back on in school holidays or something and yep. yeah we can discuss more about the uh the 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 influence of, of the the um, the red and the communists in in Queensland. So, yeah. thank you very much to, to to Neil from the Brisbane Labor History what Association. You're listening to Workers Power on Four Triple Z with Jackson, Calypso, and Bill. And thank you to Neil from the Brisbane Labour History Association for that brilliant interview. Now we are going to get started on some workers' action. Uh, Firstly, some First Nations workers' action, where we have news from Don Dale. Uh, Do you want to read that out, Clips? The controversial Northern Territory Youth Justice Facility remains operational despite a Royal Commission recommending its closure four years ago. The grandmother of an Aboriginal boy who has served several stints in Darwin's Dondale Juvenile Detention Centre is among a group of protesters calling for the facility's immediate closure. The group meets at the centre every Friday afternoon to call on the Northern Territory Government to make good on its four-year-old promise to close the facility. Images from inside Dondale shocked the nation in 2006, revealing the use of chair restraints and spit hoods.
It sparked a royal commission which recommended the centre, formerly Berrimah Prison and home to the territory's most hardened adult prisoners, be closed down permanently. Donna Hunter's 11-year-old grandson has recently been in and out of Dondale and is pleading for its closure. This ain't no place for a damaged child. Not at all. He needs help. He needs help and having him here in Dondale is not the answer, she said. Darwin Bran- barrister John Lawrence SC said the treatment of Miss Hunter's grandson while inside Dondale was inhumane. He needs care. He needs treatment and he needs professional help, he said. He's been put in a derelict male adult cell, and when I saw him in there last, he was being shut down in there at 6.30pm, and he was let out at 8 o'clock the next morning, and because of staff shortages, he was only allowed out three times during the day, one hour apiece. This is how we treat Aboriginal kids in the Northern Territory in 2022. The Territory Government has spent $2.5 million refurbishing the Dondale site where a new 55 million dollar juvenile justice facility is being in darwin's rural area alongside the existing adult prison the new center is due for completion mid-year meanwhile the number of young people in detention has reached levels not seen since the royal commission a result of tough new youth bail laws there's children being kept in a condemned adult male jail dondale and that shouldn't happen anywhere As far as I know, it isn't happening anywhere in the Western world, John Lawrence said. The Royal Commission saw it, discovered the worst and said, first and foremost, the children have to be taken out of that jail and it has to be shut down and they need an appropriate, proper, decent and humane facility for juvenile offenders and that needs to happen. A major protest is being planned at Dondale on January 26. We all know what day January 26 is. Mm. We sure do. Yes, Invasion Day, uh, which um, we'll be do- do- which we'll be doing at as uh, uh, the okay. Yes, Anyone want to talk so instead this, of me? Yes, <laughs> this th- this story is nothing new. We know that like children as young as eleven are being put in these facilities, and it is horrible in there. And what's that going to do to a child at that age? When you're eleven. You're still forming like your your self confidence and your self esteem, and being treated and being subjected to these horrible conditions inside an adult male prison. What's that going to do to your self esteem, and and your development? Yeah, locked up for twenty one hours a day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, as you mentioned, the, the, this is an ongoing story. And but uh, y- there was some updated uh, parts of this story, and the main ones that that the the two main things that I noticed and. Uh, I wanted to bring uh, to everyone's attention is that they're holding a weekly vigil. Um, the group meets at the centre every Friday afternoon. And that's you know that's a, that you know consistent approach. Be there Friday. We're not going anywhere. We'll be back. We'll be back, kind of thing. And um, you know, good on the on these uh, you know this, this grandmother standing up for her, her grandson, and also yeah, a major protest being held there uh, on on January twenty sixth, which as you mentioned, uh, um, we all know what that day is. Um, and uh, I think what. Um, what Jackson was after was a segue into <laughs> um, the, uh, the 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 
the powers that be in uh, Four Triple Z really, really liked the uh, the Invasion Day uh, coverage that uh, Leon and the Indigibris, um crew put on last year, and and uh, uh, assisted by the Workers Power Team. Um, but uh, so it, that's going to happen again this year. We'll be uh, 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 broadcasting live. Uh, so we'll start about nine a.m. at. Uh, I think it's starting at uh, Government House there uh, this year, which that, that may change. You know, start. You know, um, we we will have that. So we've got one, two more episodes, uh, and because uh, 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 it, it it might end up at King George Square or it might end up at Queens Park. But at this stage, it's advertised at Government House uh, Speakers Corner. I'm I'm pretty sure is the starting point, and then walk up and uh, over the the bridge to uh, uh, Musgrave Park. You know. So, and uh, we, we'll be there. Leon will be out, um, and uh, the workers' power team is going. The way we pay the rent is we show solidarity and we amplify the the voices of First Nations people. So, uh, um, we, we'll be assisting where we can. Um, Jackson, you're, you're get, Jack, are you going to be out on the ground too? Probably. You'll you'll be out on the ground, and uh, Jackson will be out on the ground. Um, Dan and I will be in the studio. We're going to be holding up the uh, uh, the front on the studio, and uh, it's going to be uh, an, another fantastic day of uh, of uh, bringing uh, the listeners into the heart of uh, of a rally, and that's that's what we aim to do here, here on Workers Power and Four Triple Z. So, um, yeah, we'll be amplifying the voices of First Nations people. You know, uh, get, hearing their viewpoint on on why it's why it's an important day um, for them to be out and marching and. Uh, um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, really, really looking forward to that. That does, uh, that's on the twenty sixth, and that should go. I think. I think it's going to go from about nine a.m. till about one p.m. in the afternoon. So, um, yeah, we, it, it, it'll be a fantastic day. So, and as we are currently experiencing a COVID outbreak here in Queensland, it is important to remember that to, that if you intend to attend this protest, that you be very careful and you uh, ma- maintain as much health uh, as you maintain your health as much as possible make sure you wear a mask use hand sanitizer social distance as much as you can as, as much as is possible at a protest um and, and stay home if you're unwell of course yeah, yeah. Have and, any and, and of at course all, do not attend there's also the 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 other normal things that that workers need for for safety on a day like this is uh you know hats sunscreens mm. Um, water. water, you know, so that that's uh, so your face mask uh, is all part and parcel of uh, of that these days, you know. Like it's ju- just the same as you you're going to grab your hat and your sunglasses. Well, you're going to grab your mask as well. So th- there might be times where you won't be able to uh, um, social distance. So that's when you you know you you make sure you've got your mask there, and mask on, right. Good, right. good. It's really, it's it's getting very close. Uh, you know, so getting exciting, and we'll be talking about it uh, um, in the lead up. Uh, maybe we should have Leon on the week before. I'll see what I can do. See what we can organise. But it's going to be an action-packed day of uh, hearing. You know, we'll be taking the rally to your lounge room if you're unavailable to uh, get there. And we are going to do, talk about some workers' action now. Our first our story here is from the Queensland Teachers' Union. So, on Monday, the Queensland Premier announced a delay to the start of the school 
Okay, so this is a statement from the QTU, by the way. So on Monday, the Queensland Premier announced a delay to the start of the school academic year for all students in all schools across the state. The government has made this decision given the rising numbers of the current wave of the pandemic. While the QTU supports the decision of the government to delay the start of the year, to delay the start of the student academic year, we do not support the annou- announcement of the Premier to extend the school year until the 16th of December 2022. QTU members have worked hard throughout the pandemic to provide students with the best opportunities for success and they will continue to do so. The decision to extend the school year does not recognise the impact of the pandemic on the workload and well-being of school leaders and teachers and acts to reduce member working conditions and leave entitlements. The decision today failed to recognise that teacher and school leader working conditions are also the learning conditions of students. A special meeting of the QTU executive will be convened this week to determine a response to this issue. Monday's announcement means that vulnerable children and those of essential workers who are only able to return to school from the 24th of January 2022. However, this will be for supervision purposes only. Instruction for students in years prep to 10 will not commence until all students return to school on the 7th of February 2022. Students in years 11 and 12 will commence remote learning in the week of the 31st of January 2022. Teachers of years 11 and 12 should be given time during the week of the 24th of January to prepare for this. Currently, QTU members will return from holiday as planned. Members are expected to return to work in the week of the student free days, whether these are conducted remotely or in attendance at school, will be subject to local decision. Uh, From the 24th of January to the 7th of February, members will be involved in scenario planning, preparation and supervision, i.e. members will be working. More information about the change arrangement. The QTU will continue to work with the department and provide any updated information to members via the QT website and other platforms. Yeah, just uh, the, 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 there's one main point that I wanted to talk about here, but also um, it, it just uh, lets workers know what, uh, um, from the point of view of the Queensland Teachers Union, about uh, a bit, little bit about uh, the uh, Premier's announcement that affects schools, um, the Premier's announcement from Monday. But the, the, the main one that I wanted to talk about was the um, extending the, like the delay of the year mm. yep no worries that's all right you know the kids they'll they'll, they'll um the year 11 the year 11 kids start from the 20 what oh, says it here the 24th um so that's my daughter my daughter's in year 11 um but the 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 extending at, at the end the decision to extend the school year does not recognize the input impact of the pandemic on the workload and well-being of a school teachers uh, school leaders and teachers so w- what the government has announced without consulting the workers is that the workers have to work an extra year this next year uh, an extra week yeah. an extra week sorry yeah an extra week so there's an extra week that teachers have got to work. And, of course, they won't be getting paid. Or, or, or the government will be assuming that they're not going to get paid for it. So, you know, like, like that, that's essentially they've put... Uh, A whole week of unpaid labour. Yeah. For all teachers. That's right. Why can't they just pay them for it? Well, that's what I was saying to my, my partner, who, who, you know, just full disclosure, my partner is a teacher. Uh, I was saying, well, they should be paying you. Not only should they be paying you extra for that week, but it should be at overtime rates. 
Right, because uh, are teachers salaried workers? Teachers are salaried right. workers. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That. So, uh, you know, like, uh, as as mentioned in, in, in the uh, statement, the QTU are, are meeting this week to uh, uh, see what sort of, uh, you know, campaign that they're going to have. But, but uh, don't just decide you're all working for free yeah, for a right. whole week. And not consult. This We talk about this a lot on Workers' Power and, and um, at RAF we, we, we do it. Nearly every single, I think... I think 99 out of 100 disputes that we have with bosses, the first dispute we have with them is the lack of consultation. Mm. You must consult with workers about change that's going to affect them, you know, the, the, or the union, you know. They should be, the, you know, in talks with the union say, saying, hey, what do you think about delaying the school for year for two years? Yeah, boom, the, the union were all in favour of that. The union were, in fact, campaigning because at first uh, it was just... Just talk of uh, primary age, uh, uh, primary school kids were were going to uh, delay the, by two weeks. Not, but the the QTU, to their credit, stood up and said this should be for all students, you know, both primary and secondary, and we support the delay by two two weeks. And then, boom, all of a sudden, without you know talking to the union about it, oh, we're gonna we're going to uh, extend the school year by a week, you know. So that's. Uh, um, you know, it's. Uh, I can tell you, tell you what. It's not. They're not very happy about it in my household. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. Oh, the kids. But that, that said, it's quite funny. The kids want to go back to school. My kids are crazy, <laughs> and my kids are crazy. You know, they're keen to get back in there. Well, two out of the three of them are. Um, but um, also, there's a teacher who's, uh, you know, has to work an extra week, and at, it's at the end of the year. Students and teachers are just so tired at that, that last mm. couple of weeks, and to have you're a, already exhausted. Yeah. That's right. I mean, you, you can you, afford to work a week and not get paid for it. Yeah, you don't right. even do any learning in the last week. You just, yeah, sort of no just way. hang out. It's like a pointless week. It, it 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 is in a certain regard. It is. It really is. Those last weeks, you know, you, you don't do much, and um, you know, like uh, evidenced by the facts that year ten, like uh, the 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 school from from my well, my daughter was in year ten in twenty twenty one. The last two weeks, they said, "Ah, oh, look, you don't you, you're not going to be learning anything. Don't bother coming in." Mm. So I had to look after my daughter for two weeks. You know, like it was all right. She came in here. <laughs> she came in here and had a bit of work experience at, uh, at Workers' Power at 4 Triple Z. But, uh, yeah, yeah, so uh, solidarity with their teachers and um, the QTU, and I hope that the, the QTU stand up, fight back, and, uh, and tell, tell the, uh, the, the Premier that, uh, and Grace Grace, the, the Minister for Education, that uh, giving us an extra week uh, uh, work without consulting us first is uh, not good, not good at all, and... Uh, uh, here on Workers' Power, we, we call for uh, an ex- if there's going to be an extra week, which there shouldn't be, it should be paid at uh, 38 hours, paid at overtime rates. Because mm. that's what it is. It's overtime. Now this is some international workers' action, but, with a, but it's been supported by the United Workers' Union, who said 22 trade unionists, most of them women, have been arrested in Cambodia during, during a strike at a Naga World casino. If convicted, they face between six months and two years in prison. United Workers Union is joining the IUF uh, and the APHEDA and other unions around the world to demand their unconditional release. And we're going to read a joint statement from 
a from the from Cambodian unions and civil society groups. Uh, so. Um, we, the undersigned civil society groups, including union federations, confederations, and associations, as well as NGOs, are dismayed by the measures taken by authorities led by the Phnom Penh Police Commissariat to detain nine union leaders and members on the night of December 31st, 2021, and to fur further violently arrest LRSU union leader Chim Sitar on the afternoon of January 4th, 2022. We call for all all arrested unionists immediate and unconditional release. We support the exercise of the fundamental rights and freedoms of LRSO union members and employees to conduct a peaceful strike. This right is guaranteed under the constitution, labour law, law on trade unions and based on the union statutes and registered with the Ministry of Labour and Vocational Training as a professional and independent institution to protect the legal rights and interests of workers in the workplace. We are dismayed by the measures taken by authorities who failed to uphold their roles and obligations to protect, peaceful, to protect strikers who, could, who conduct a peaceful strike. Instead, the authorities arrested the union leaders and members even at night and improperly accused them of a crime. We further note that most of those arrested, as well as those participating in the strike, are women. Cambodian law, including the CEDAW Convention, entitles these workers to the peaceful exercise of speech, association and union activity. Women workers make their own decisions about whether to stand up for their labour rights and to suggest that they are not acting of their own volition is to deny the full agency and equality of women workers. I'm not sure what that's about, but I guess there is some sort of, uh, like... Misogyny. Yeah, some sort of story about them being tricked into going on strike, I would guess, based on how what they're talking about there. Um, among the nine unionists detained on the 31st of December, eight um, were arrested at the union office. While Touch Seremus was arrested while leaving the strike site in front of Naga World, the arrests of the nine were made after 2,000 members of the LRSU uh, at Naga World conducted a peaceful strike for 13 days in order to demand Naga World reinstate 365 union leaders and members who were previously fired. One day after the arrest on the 1st of January, the Phnom Penh Police Commissariat claimed that the arrests were made after the municipality announced many times that the strike was illegal and affected social security and public order. They claimed the arrests were made uh, following some articles of the criminal code. After questioning, six union members and leaders uh, were sent to Phnom Penh Municipal Court around 5pm on the 2nd of January. On the afternoon of Monday, the 3rd of January, the 6th, the charge with incitement to commit a felony by Prosecutor Seng Hyang, according to some articles of the criminal code, and three others were also charged. Six detainees were sent to pre-trial detention at the Correctional Centre, while the additional three unionists were arrested on the 4th of January 2022. If convicted, these nine unionists face between six months and two years in prison. On Monday afternoon, while the six leaders and members were being questioned, 400 members of the union continued to strike in front of Naga 2, and an additional 17 members were arrested and sent to the police commissariat. One of the 17 de detainees, a three-month pregnant woman, was later released. 
We, the civil society groups, call for authorities to drop all charges, release all detainees and uphold their role as public servants professionally with accountability and impartiality in order to find a solution to this labour dispute. At the same time, we request the municipal court to rescind the provisional disposition which declared this strike as illegal dated as 16th of Right December. on. 119 uh, organisations, uh, unions, uh, activist groups and individuals have all signed that. Um, um, and, that and that's, just, that's uh, you know, endorsed uh, by... I don't see United Workers Union on that list, so I'm sure... But uh, they would. Uh, yes, now the United, United Abroad. Workers Union oh. is joining the IUF and some other unions. So all these workers release. did was go on strike, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, this is just uh, the crackdown you can expect. And they're facing jail time. In some countries with when workers go on strike, yeah. That's messed up. Yeah. Yep. Uh, but, you know, the law is created to protect the boss's profits. Um, and when the workers take action which threatens that, the law will crack down on them unless the workers have the power to fight back against it. And in this case, they, they're, they're organising. We have workers' organisations all over the world, as well as the union itself who is taking the strike action, uh, fighting against the imprisonment of these workers, and we can hope they will come to uh, arrive at a victory eventually. That's right. So solidarity uh, with those uh, workers. Uh, um, and, uh, yeah, their right to strike, it's, it's fundamental. And, uh, you know, we harp on about it here on Workers' Power, how important that right to strike is, but uh, it is. It is. Yeah. It's just fundamental to uh, work. You know, it's 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 where our power is. If uh, we withdraw our labour, the boss, uh, you know, doesn't get their profit. Though it's also worth noting that the right to strike is something that has pretty much never existed throughout the world ever, except in very rare situations. And when it has existed, it is because the workers have fought and defended it. Uh, for for and defended that right, and it is and the only way it is ever kept is because the workers continue to fight for and keep that right, uh, and it is never just like allowed to happen by the government. They will t- they will attempt to get rid of that right as at any opportunity. Yeah, they chip away at it. They chip away at it, and then all of a sudden. You can only strike during bargaining periods. What you know? What, mm. what what's that? What you use know? is that? Yeah, it's. What uh, if something happens outside of the bargaining period and you need to take immediate action? Oh well, then you go to the Fair Work Commission. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> where where the government will decide what's fair. Yeah, and it's uh, currently stacked with uh, LNP uh, buddies. You know, which. Uh, mm. yeah, That's so dumb. Yeah, 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 and. Um, you know the right to strike is is a big one for for us, and uh, you know solidarity strikes, and you know when when um, you know a great example is is the uh, the retail you know distribute the the retail side of things where if uh, the, the the transport workers are, are going on strike and not getting getting a good deal, well the retail workers can go out on strike in solidarity. The logistics workers should be able to go out on strike in solidarity. But, uh, you know, that's uh, highly illegal here in, in in Australia, you know. You're not allowed to do that at all, you know. It's a big, big no-no, um, solidarity striking, you know. And then, well, don't get us started on, on things like green bands and, and you know, and, mm-hmm. and, and other bands on, you know, like uh, First Nation workers' bands, you know. Re- really, you know, like a... a 
a good example of of, of, of um, you know like bands in in uh, uh, for 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 community would be um, if the uh, uh, CFMEU were to put a, a ban on Deeping Creek thing, you know. Uh, now, CFMEU have been very, very supportive of it out there, but they're not they're, they're not allowed, you know. Like, they're not allowed to say that we, we ban all work, all union members from working on that site, you know. So, um, they're not allowed to do that. that would be illegal. That's illegal in our country, yeah. Uh, but uh, what we need, what, what we need, isn't for the government to suddenly be nice and allow us to take labour actions. What we need is unions that are strong enough to break the law and then fight to stop any consequences. Yep, that's right. Stand up, fight back, and uh, yeah, it's um, yeah, yeah the, the, there's there's a lot of space in there, and uh, you know, we're, you know, like a general strike. It wouldn't it be fantastic, you know, like. Um, for for you know like uh, some uh, I, I think a, a race to, to um, welfare deserves a general strike. Mm. You know, look, all the workers should stand up for 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 those more vulnerable. You know, and those on pensions, those on um, New Start, or what do they call it now? Job Seeker, it's called. You know, surviving on forty four dollars a day. You know, so. But yeah. of course, that sort of change wouldn't just be for people who aren't working but the workers themselves would benefit for that because then they would be able to uh they would be able to quit basically without as much consequence to them that's right and that would give them a lot more power to demand better conditions in the workplace and we are going to talk about some events but first we got a text in from a subscriber chris gale thank you chris who says g'day comrades regarding changes to the school dates listening to grace grace's announcement yesterday she did not say that the extra week in december was set in stone from what i heard she was just putting it out there as a possibility if that is the case the qtu can certainly put their case forward uh and that is from chris who is a retired teacher qtu rep and proud subscriber of four triple z thank you chris thanks thanks chris and uh yeah yeah the uh um, maybe maybe we're wrong. Maybe they want to consult with the workers. Mm. Yeah, let's hope so. Let's hope so. Uh, now we're going to move on to talking about some events that are coming up here in Mianjin. And our first one is on the 17th of January. So that is next week at, on Monday at 7.30pm. It is the APN meeting. So if you are interested in getting involved with APN and all the work they do... That's the Anti-Poverty Network? Anti-Poverty Network, Queensland. Anyone can come along. There's also going to be a Chitsi link. If anyone doesn't like want to actually come in person, you can still attend online, which is great because we know that we're having a COVID outbreak at the moment. <laughs> so even if you've got COVID symptoms, you can just get that Jitsi link and you can listen in and have your say as well and if you just don't want to g- go to a public meeting with uh, with pe- people yeah, yeah no, that makes sense hey <laughs> yeah uh, so do you want to talk about some of the work that APN does to get people interested yes so any poverty network really good um, there's in the Queensland branch, we at the moment are focusing a lot on mutual aid. We have regular mutual aid stalls. That's where we provide essentials to people in Fortitude Valley. There's a lot of people doing it tough right now, uh, particularly homeless or just people who are just in poverty as well in the area. Um, and it's it's a great way for us to reach out to people and help. Another thing we do is Centrelink Advocacy. We all know that the Centrelink system is deliberately designed to make you want to give up. It's difficult, it's confusing, and it's it's 
there, there's forms and a terrible website layout and they'll constantly cut your payments for no reason. This can make it really hard for people to navigate getting their payments back. They're difficult on purpose, but as soon as you have someone in your corner, they get scared. So if you're having any problems with Centrelink or if you want to learn how to navigate Centrelink, that's something that we're really good at. And it's it's a way to make sure that people keep their payments. It's it's very I've I've noticed that over the years it's very empowering for workers just to know that someone's got their back. Yes. Just recently there was a, a comrade out at Ipswich who was having a bit of trouble with Centrelink and I reached out to them and I said, Hey comrade, you know, if you if you need need any help dealing with Centrelink, I know this organization, uh, you know, you, you, you want to chat with Jaden, you know, Jaden can help you out, we can support and That's and, right. and you know, all that type of thing, letting them know, know how APN can can provide support. What that did is in the end, APN didn't do anything for the, this worker, right? But what what it did, just that convers- couple of conversations that we did have, the worker w- felt empowered and and was going right. Yeah, I've got to I've got to ring up. I've got to do this. I've got to organise an appointment so that then Jaden can come and help me along. And and they were just empowered and they got things resolved. Yes. Just because they they had a little bit a bit more confidence, it knowing does feel amazing. knowing that that oh look look I'm going to give it a go. If I stuff it up, I've got someone you know who's got my back who can help me out. So reach out um, if you want to be involved in the meeting. If you if you need any advocacy, reach out to the uh, uh, um, Anti Poverty Network at Queensland's Facebook page. Um, it's it's monitored and and stuff like that. So uh, if you want to find out more, head head to that. Yes. So, and just a reminder that if you're interested in getting involved with doing all the work that APN does, there that is on the 17th of January next week on Monday at 7:30 p.m. at Common House in Fortitude Valley, or you can go to the APN Facebook page and get a Jitsi link to join the meeting online. Our next event. Oh, we're getting it's 11:52 now, so we yeah, we better just bit, better go over the details. So Wednesday, 19th of January. So that's next Wednesday. There's a rally to uh, Shutbider, uh, which is the Brisbane International Transfer uh, Immigration Transport oh, uh, Accommodation. Yeah, yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, and yes. Shutmider, which is the Melbourne one, and Free the Refugees, which is on at Anzac Square um, in in Brisbane um, next Wednesday, the 19th of January at 5:30. Um, there's also. 5.30pm, by the way. Oh, yeah, of course. There's also Stop the Far-Right uh, Brisbane protest um, on uh, Saturday, the 22nd of January, 12pm um, at Abanyapa Park. Uh, join um, many different o- organisations in a national counter-protest against the far-right. Uh, yeah, so as we go into this new outbreak, the Omicron outbreak of COVID-19, there will be uh, more there'll be more organizing amongst the far right and the anti-vaxxers to uh, destroy any protection we have against uh, to just have any health really so we need to counter that we need to counter the far right and the anti-vaxxers and make sure that we state that as a society we want to have these public health measures in place and we want to we want to be able to live (laughs) <laughs> basically just live without having been forced to go to work and stuff like that. 
And uh, I'd say that uh, in some way, shape or form, this will be one of our lead stories uh, for next week's Workers' Power. So we'll be talking much more about it uh, next week, as well as we will be talking about, in the lead-up to Invasion Day, we'll be talking about Invasion Day um, rally. And uh, as we mentioned earlier on in the show, uh, you can um, uh, hear hear all about it and and be a part of of the, uh, the rally in your backyard or on, on, on in your lounge room uh, thanks to uh, 4ZZZ uh, broadcasting live from the rally. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's a couple of other things that we'll, we'll, we'll talk I'm looking forward to the decrim campaign. I, I, you know, uh, I wish we had a bit more time to talk about that, but we do before the, the parliament resumes. So um, I, I've got to get someone from Respect on to talk a little bit about that. But uh, um, <laughs> we better get into... Bill, Respect and decrim are two separate organisations. That's right. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All right, but we better get on to the scaly wag of the week. Yes, do you want to read that out, Bill? Yeah, yeah, and, and, and how it relates. As much as we dislike the ruling class uh, giving the award to them, uh, they're just so good at being scallywags. Uh, so you, you mean the politicians? The politicians, yes. yes. So uh, critical uh, Queensland workers will be able to provide essential services while they are classified close contacts provided they meet its strict health criteria so uh premier anastasia p said the move was restricted to a narrow range of industries to ensure essential services and supplies like groceries petrol energy water freight and others could continue uh, workers will need to be uh, fully vaccinated and must wear a mark mask they must be asymptomatic so for bowing down to the bosses and putting profits before health, Queensland Premier Anna P earns our scallywag of the week. So what what the, this essentially means is that if you're a close contact, but you're not feeling crook, you got to still come into work. Yeah, yeah. that's disgusting. You're that's not terrible. allowed to isolate, even though you might have COVID. Yeah. Even if you probably have COVID. Yeah, that's right. And there's there's even talk of uh, of some bosses saying, "Oh no, have you got you you haven't got your test yet? You you, you know, like you should still oh, you should still come in, you know. Oh, but I'm not feeling too well. But have you got COVID? You know, like still come in until your test comes in positive, positive. So I may have heard a don't use COVID as an excuse. All right. Mm. Well, the the thing is, it, disregard COVID. If you've got a runny nose. And you're not feel, you don't feel like going into work today. That's reason enough to have a day off. Hmm. If you've got a headache, and uh, and 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 you're not feeling like going into work today, don't go into work. That's sick. You're sick. That's sick leave. You know. It's uh, so hearing hearing uh, people who who uh, have got symptoms and um, but uh, have had uh, negative tests and they're being forced into work. Yeah. Well, that's just, just utter garbage. Honestly, these workers, were at work the same amount that we're at home. So if someone in our household tested, that counts. But someone in our workplace tested, that doesn't count. 
Yeah, that's, that's right. ridiculous. And that's then, not based then, on you science. Know, yeah, it's, yeah, it's 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 not based on science. So mm. uh, I think it was a, it was a terrible announcement. It, it, it was more to do with uh, uh, profits for for the likes of Coles and Woolworths and and Harvey Norman than than, than it is to do with uh, keeping people fed or or or, uh, or or keeping people safe. So you know, Anna P, worthy winner of this week's Scallywag of the Week. Anastasia Palaget, more like Anastasia Palaget. Shame. 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 Um, Now, before we end this show and go to a song and we'll be have Brisbane Lines afterwards, uh, so stay tuned to listen to some of the news, uh, news that they'll be talking about. Uh, We got a message in uh, who who was interested in what we were saying about Centrelink advocacy. They only caught the end of it. So just a reminder, if you want, if you have, if you're having problems with Centrelink, you can contact the APN uh, through their Facebook page. So that is Anti-Poverty Network. Anti-Poverty Network Queensland. Yes, that's right. Uh, and you can message them, tell them what's going on, and they'll help you out. Um, or you can search up Anti-Poverty Network Queensland. Go, you'll find their website with all the contact details, uh, and you can go from there. And hopefully you get all the help you need. Right on. Great show. Good show. Good, uh, you know, good things to, you know, that were important for workers. And uh, um, it's fantastic to uh, learn from history from uh, the Brisbane Labor History Association. So, um, yeah, that's that's it for us. And, uh, yeah, make sure you uh, tune in next week. We'll, we'll see you next Tuesday. See you next week.